Welcome to our Rock City Church podcast. We are so excited to have you join us. Our desire is that you would listen with expectancy for what God wants to do in your life. We pray that you would encounter the mighty love of the Father and that you would be fired up for the more that He has for you. Uh, Today, being Valentine's Day, and happy Valentine's Day to all of you, especially the ladies in the house. Uh, Today, I want to talk with you guys about love, of course, but I want to specifically talk about what it means to have fervent love and why it's so important that in these days we have fervent love for one another, all right? So let's pray and we'll dive into that. Lord, thank you so much for your presence, your power, your love, your life, and the fire of your love that burns inside of us from you to us and to one another. Thank you so much, Lord, for your faithfulness and kindness and that you loved us first. You love us with perfect love. Show us how to love, Lord. Show us how to love the way that you love. Show us how to lay our lives down for one another. Show us, God, that how we love one another is an accurate reflection of how we love you. And I thank you, God, that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's just pause for a moment and ask the Lord this question, Lord, why do you love me? You ever ever ponder that question? Let's take a moment, just ask the Lord in your heart, Lord, why do you love me? Think about it for a moment. Lord, why do you love me? I think about that question a lot. All too often we think that someone loves us or God loves us or that we're lovable because of some characteristic or attribute or trait that's in our life because of what we do or how good we are or what we can give back to God. If you feel that God loves you because of what you can do or what you can give back to God, you're gonna miss perfect love. Your love will always be based on what you do or what you don't do or how you feel or how you don't feel. It'll be driven with feelings of love instead of actions of love. And you'll feel like one day God loves me and the next day he doesn't. And we'll be pulling the daisies singing, he loves me, he loves me not, hoping that he loves me. It's a deceptive lie to think that our love is based on our merit or our worth or our value. The truth is God loves you because he loves you because he loves you because he loves you just because he loves you. And that's hard for us to compute because so much of our love is based on the value of others or what other people do for us instead of for who they are. If you can't see past the veil, now it's important that we have koinonia. We're gonna talk about koinonia today. We're gonna talk about benefactory love love that gives back, love that has benefits. But we live too often in that kind of love or we start our relationships with other kinds of love that's really lustful instead of real love, like Eros love. You know, today being Valentine's Day, you know, we have the picture of Cupid. Cupid is not God's love. Cupid is erotic love. If you do some research on Cupid, Cupid really is a, you know, the name Cupid means passionate desire. It's, an, it's a, a, a Latin name, but the, the Greek god of Cupid is Eros, which is erotic love. And we don't really understand what real love looks like. And so we value all of our love on all of these other reasons and all of these other things. But when I understand that God loves me for who I am, which takes work, because I can be a mess. I can be hard to love at times. So can you. And so if I can't see you with God's perfect love, and if I can't love you accurately, I'll never have true relationship with you. It'll always be what you can do for me. It'll always be what you can give to me. And if you don't give and if you don't do, well, then we have a problem in our relationship. If I can see you the way God sees you, if we can see one another the way that God sees them, 
we can love accurately and purposefully and we can love right with true agape love. True agape love is a love that's completely sacrificial. It's a love that really takes no value, no concern of your value. Like I'm not, it's not that you're not valuable, but it's that I'm loving you despite whether you're valuable or not. I'm loving you for who you are. We'll never have true intimate relationships and true love if we don't really love that person for who they are, especially in marriage, especially in marriage. Now, again, we have to have koinonia in the body of Christ and we have to have koinonia in our marriage. And, you know, nobody wants to be in a marriage where your spouse never touches you or doesn't give back to you or doesn't encourage you or doesn't give something to you. But there's gotta be a love that goes beyond that because what happens when that person doesn't? What happens when that person's sick? What happens when that person's not feeling good or, you know, is struggling with mental issues in their, in their mind or dealing with family issues or whatever it is and they, can't, they don't seem to have enough to give back to you? If we're selfish, we're gonna find ourselves manifesting back at them instead of loving them the way Jesus loved them. I'm guilty of that. And that's why God dealt with me in July and he showed me, I don't, under, I don't really know God's perfect love. It really messed me up because I've always really loved the Lord. But God, it wasn't that I never knew it. It was more like I had forgotten it because it had become about me. So, I, so then when my wife is hurting or struggling or battling, she was battling postpartum depression after the loss of our 32-week-old baby that was born stillborn. Stillbirth. And no, I don't understand. I didn't understand. And so in turn, I gave her the silent treatment and I was frustrated because she had nothing to give back to me. And then we didn't talk for weeks. Weeks. I ought to be the first to tell her myself. I have nothing to hide. This is old. I've actually shared this story before. And then we, go, we finally get away on a trip and she says... I said, what's going on? You know, we, we know that sometimes we just have to get away, the two of us. It's so important that we find that time. And so we get away. I said, what's going on? She says, I, I feel uncovered. I feel alone. I feel misunderstood. And so she's telling me these things and she's in tears and I'm listening to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, what is, what's going on? And the Lord showed me that I had never really covered and loved her properly and been the spiritual leader that I was supposed to be from the very beginning, from the day that we actually got married. And so I repented. I said, you know what, you're right. I've left you alone and misunderstood and I wanna say I'm sorry. And man, as soon as I said that, the presence of God filled the car of our Tahoe and we literally almost wrecked it we had an encounter with God, the two of us together. We started weeping, we started crying, and there was forgiveness, and we cut a root. We cut a foundational root in our marriage that brought it into the light, and now there was healing and wholeness and forgiveness. The truth is, is I never knew how to love. I still have to really learn how to love. I know that some, so many of you really believe that I love well, but the truth is, is I can love a lot better. And the faster that I can admit at that I don't really know how to love the way that he does because it goes so deep. It goes so deep. The minute I think I have it all figured out is the minute that, I real, that I'll realize I don't. God's love is so much deeper than what we realize. His perfect love is always pursuing, always giving, always caring, always desiring, always covering. He's always covering us. And I had to realize, man, I don't know how to love. And I want to love. I want to love right. I don't want to be selfish. I don't want it to be about me. If it's about me and selfish, we got a problem. And the only way that I'm going to know how to love or you're going to know how to love is to understand perfect love and to understand what Jesus did on the cross and to understand that when he shed his blood, he shed his blood to do what you could never do. He shed his blood to cover you when you were in the midst of darkness and sin and failure and never knew how to love. 
I deal with people all the time, broken marriages, broken relationships, five husbands, five wives, broken kids, uh, selfishness, frustrated all the time. I could literally do marriage counseling 24 hours a day, every day. And the challenge is, is that we're selfish and we're prideful and it's about us and our needs and what about me and me, 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 me and my needs and my flesh and my desire and and the truth is, is Jesus died to all of that on the cross. Jesus gave it all for his bride. Most men don't know what it means to be the spiritual leader of their home. Now, I love you guys. I know I'm being so intense right now. I really do love you. I promise we're going to have a lot of fun in this, but I really feel some weight on this thing. I'm passionate about it because I'm dealing with it every day. Not only with me, but with other people. Marriage is the strongest relationship on earth. You will never have a stronger, it's even stronger than you and your kids. Your kids will leave and cleave to their husbands or their wives. They'll leave you one day. But your spouse is with you for your entire life. It's real covenant. And so... It's so important that we're truly laying our lives down like Jesus laid his life down. I love Ephesians 5. It says that husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So we're always giving ourselves first for our bride and then for his bride because he's got a bride. You're his bride. Do you understand? So Jesus gave it all for first for his bride. So I give it all for my bride. Her name's Amber. And then right after that is the bride of Christ. My priorities aren't my wife, my work, the bride of Christ. My priorities are my bride, his bride, and then the work that God puts in front of me so that I can take care of what God's called me to take care of. But men get it backwards. We put our careers first or maybe right after our wife and then fifth or sixth down the line is God's bride. There's a reason why I have fire in my eyes for you. Not just because of a title or a position, but because I understand if I wanna be like Jesus, I've gotta lay my life down. I'll never be satisfied in my life. If I don't teach my kids this principle, they will be entitled and selfish and live for themselves. It'll be about careers and money and stuff and things and materialistic things. And they're six and eight and already think they're entitled to the world. It's hilarious. So... What I want more than anything is to teach us how to love and to have fervent love. We're gonna talk about fervent love today. The word fervent means it never stops. It never ceases. It's always pursuing. It's always desiring. It's hot. The word fervent and hot are synonymous. It means that I'm burning with a passion to love who? First to love the Lord, then to love what God has given me, my family, and then to love his family more than my work. My coffee shops are not my first love. Money is, you can't serve two masters. You got to love one and hate the other, period. End of story. You got to despise one. And the one we're despising is the master of money, the master of avarice, the pursuit of material wealth and gain constantly. More stuff and more stuff. It's okay to have stuff as long as your stuff doesn't have you. And then you use your stuff to glorify the Lord. Yes, God wants to bless you. It's part of the covenant promise even to Israel. When you get over the Jordan River and you get your gold, your silver, your ranches, your land, your stuff, never forget who gave it to you because you, I delight in your prosperity. We don't have a poverty mentality in this church. But what's the purpose? Why does God do it? Because he loves us. You didn't deserve it. Because he loves you for who you are, because he loves you, he loves you. He loves you for who you are, not based on your actions, because if it's based on your actions, when you screw up and you sin, and you're an idiot, when we're idiots, what happens? 
Oh, well, God doesn't love me or God's gone from me or he's mad at me. That's unbiblical. He'll discipline you because he cares for you, but his love never stops for you, ever. And it's not conditional based on the fact of whether you looked at porn last night, whether you did drugs and alcohol last night, even if you beat your wife last night. That's hard to say. I can even go deeper. God loves everyone. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Let's just pause right there. For God loved the world. And that's different than us as sons and daughters loving the world to be a part of the world. Like I want the world in my life. That's not what it means. Jesus loved the world that he gave himself and died so that it wouldn't perish. All right. So 1 Peter 4, well, actually, let me share this with you. I shared this scripture a little while, a few weeks ago at, uh, I don't remember the message, but I talked about this scripture, 2 Peter 3, 11, all things on the verge of being dismantled. Don't you see how vital it is to live a holy life? We must be consumed with godliness. So all things are being dismantled. And I want to tie that into 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Now, what does it mean for the end of all things to be at hand? It means that Jesus is standing at the door and the door's about to open. It means that the time is now. It means that Jesus at any moment could come back. And we as a church should always be watchful and ready and understanding that at any moment Jesus could come back. So I live my life, I plan my life as if he's not gonna come back for generations, but I live my life as if he's gonna come back tonight. Right? So I'm always, always prepared. And you guys should know this perfectly. And because of that, it puts a fear inside of my heart, a healthy fear to live upright and holy before the Lord. Because I don't want to be caught unaware. Or I don't want to be caught with my pants down. Really. I want to be fully ready when Jesus returns. And I want you to too. Now, God's merciful and gracious and kind, but what it does is it puts an urgency inside of my heart to understand the end of all things is at hand. You know, I was thinking about the swamp factor. You know, the, how uh, President Trump was all about draining the swamp. I'm gonna come in and drain the swamp, but the truth is, is people love the swamp. You know why? Swampy hearts. I, I, that sounds like a good message title to me right there, Swampy Hearts. Because when the swamp is in you, snakes and alligators and deceit and deception and darkness and lies, what does a swampy heart always lead to? Corruption. It leads to destruction. It leads to the desire for money, wealth, fame, notoriety, and recognition and stuff and money and power. Jesus was contrary to all of those things. Jesus laid his life down so that he could experience and show what true power really looks like. So we have to drain the swamp. You want to fix our nation? Let's drain the swamp inside of us. And let's be honest, if we have swampy hearts or areas of swamp, The end of all things is at hand. So I like this word, the end. The word, the end, the end in the Greek is the word telos. It's where we get the word telescope. It's, it means that I have vision, long-term vision. It means I understand something bigger than what the world sees. You should too. You're Christians. You're sons and daughters of the living God. You are a mighty force to be reckoned with. You're Rock City Church. Yeah, you're the bride of Christ. I can't speak for every other church and I believe God's raised up millions and millions of believers, but I can speak to you. You're not lukewarm, haphazard, and you're not influenced and moved by the things of this world. And people are coming in here and coming out of it. Strippers and gangbangers and drug addicts and porn addicts and uh, broken marriages and all those things can come into this church and find true life, right? But my job is to always raise the bar. Here's who you are. Never forget who you are. You're the head, not the tail. You're the standard, not the substandard. 
You're the culture, not the subculture. I don't care what any politician says or votes or laws that are passed. I know that I have ultimate authority through the word and through who I am as a son. That's not arrogant. That's not pompous. That's not prideful. That's not cocky. That's the reality of the truth of who God makes me to be. And I don't flaunt it. Instead, what I do is I lay my life down so that I can find life. If you love your life, you will lose it. But if you hate it, you will find it. So the end of all things is at hand. It means it's approaching. It means it's very close. It means that the time is now. It means he's standing at the door. And at any minute, it could open. And so because the end of all things is at hand, therefore, because of that, God wants us to be serious and watchful in our prayers. To be serious is to be sane, not insane. To be serious means that I have, I'm in my right mind. I'm not crazy. Any of you know anybody that's crazy? I meet crazy people all the time and I, I love them. And what I realize is God wants us to have a spirit of power and love and a... That's right, because if your mind is sound, then your actions, the way you love, the way you give, the way you care, your relationships and boyfriends and girlfriends and husbands and wives, it all comes into perspective. Everything comes into right perspective. God wants you to be successful. I want you all to know that. The world defines successful as you made it. You got money, lots of money or you got positions and titles and careers and doctors and lawyers and whatever it is, government officials or whatever job you could think of. And as long as I have money in the bank and my family's, and I'm providing for my family and I have a good career, I'm successful. God, he wants you to have those things too, but those things are not the true definition of success. God defines success as being well put together mentally of a sound mind, a healthy heart with the right mission and the right purpose. So if God gives, because we need people in all those positions, from the military to civic duties and responsibilities to the school systems, to uh, first responders, to the courthouse, I don't, what if, to builders and general contractors and therapists, I mean, whatever it is you can think of. But we need those people with sound minds that are healthy and strong, that when they're in that position, they're actually able to lead people into the purposes of God because God uses those positions in the world to lead people back to him. He's, he needs people in the marketplace and in God's house. Right? So to be serious, it, it means that I'm in my right mind. It means that I'm self-controlled. And I don't think of myself too highly. It's humility. Ser being serious and being humble tie together. Because I don't overthink of myself as that great. So the minute I think of myself as great, now I know I'm great in God's eyes because I'm a son. And I find my value there. But my value is not found in my natural, earthly, worldly successes because those are going to fade away. And the older I get... You all, many of you have figured that out, but as you get older, you realize what you thought mattered the most doesn't matter as much anymore. The other thing about serious means I curb my passions. I curb my passions. And I curb them because someone's coming. And if I'm gonna love you right and I have deceit and deception and hypocrisy inside of my life, I'll never be able to love you right. Ever. To be watchful means to pay attention, to walk circumspectly. It also means to be sober. It means to not be distracted, to be always focused and always looking. Not just for the fact that Jesus is coming back, but the fact that he's here now. So everywhere around my life, my eyes are open. Everywhere around my life, I'm looking for Jesus. I'm looking for him in you. I'm looking for him even on Facebook. I'm looking for him even in your lives and how you live. I'm looking for him all around me. I'm watchful at all times. It means I'm paying attention. 
The problem with alcohol and drugs is that it clouds your vision and it clouds your mind. And so what happens is, is, is you cannot be sober-minded. And I'm not saying that some people can't have a glass of wine. I want to make sure you understand that. Some people can have a glass of wine and stop, but some of you, you have a drop and it's two bottles later. And the truth is, for, for many people, any alcohol is a bad situation. People say, what's you? they like want me to implement some policy and some rule. No. The truth is, is you're sober-minded. And if anything keeps you, just gets you distracted, and it can be a whole lot of things besides alcohol. It can be money, career, entertainment, all kinds of things. And so what, I, what God says, he's like, look, all things are on the verge of being dismantled and the end is at hand. So I want you to, your mind to be put together and I want you to take, I want you to be serious and sober-minded and well put together. And I want you to be watching. You know, I, I'm gonna tell you this story real quick. I'm gonna tell it to you fast. I remember when I was at Oral Roberts University and I went to hang out with a friend of mine. It was, it was a, 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 a guy that owned a barber shop that cut my hair. I went over to his house one evening and he was having some wine. And he asked me if I wanted to have a glass of wine. And I, was, I had a conviction to not have a glass of wine. Within minutes, I got a phone call from a friend of mine and I was talking with this other guy, so I sent it to voicemail. Then he called again, I sent it to voicemail. Then he called again and I sent it to voicemail. And so when I, when I left, I, I listened to my voicemail. And on the other line, I could hear this guy mumbling into my voicemail saying, David, call me, please call me, please. And in the back, I could hear some girl going, ah, get me out of here, get me out of here. Ah! That was the voicemail. So I called him. Yeah, I called him. He said, so he was driving. He said, David, listen, I don't know what to do. I was, so this guy was a new believer. I've always had this ability to reach like guys on drugs and alcohol and stripper situations. It's been a thing in my life, right? And so he lived with some girls that were strippers and it was a big party situation at his house. And so he had gone home that night and they were all doing cocaine and they were all partying. And the, the, one of the girls got into a fight with her boyfriend who was a shaman, basically a witch doctor. And they got into a fight and then this guy like either hit her or beat her or touched her right there in front of everybody. And she hit the ground manifesting a demon. And then this other girl who believes that she has the gift of impasse, the best way I could describe it is like the movie, The Green Mile, when the guy takes in the sickness and then breathes it out, which the whole thing's demonic because only one person can take your sickness and get rid of it, right? So this other stripper girl lays hands on her and takes the demon into her body. She hits the ground and she's choking. Oh, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And her eyes are rolled in the back of her head. So David who's recently born again, loads the girl up in her car, in his car with the brother to take him to my house. <laughs> now I'm just gonna say, it's a good day when your friends have somebody manifesting a demon and they wanna bring him to your house, right? You <clears throat> and so, <clears throat> so, I was, so I called him up and he's like, I don't know what to do. This girl's choking. The brother wants to take her to the hospital, but I know it's a demon. I don't know what to do. I said, well, well, come to my apartment. Come to my apartment. We'll cast it out. It's a demon. Let's bring, we'll cast it out. And so I'm driving and I drive by my friend Angel's house, who's from Venezuela. And just as I drive by, he calls me. This guy calls me. He says, hey, I, I was just thinking about you. What's going on? I said, well, I'm, this is what's happening. Going my eyes. He goes, no, 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 don't bring her to your house. He said, that's your sanctuary. She's manifesting demons, stripper. You never know what in the world is going on in the back end. So you don't bring her to your house. So I said, okay, well, meet me. I called David back and I said, meet me at the Assembly of God Church right around the corner. And so 
He said, okay. So I pull, so I go past my house, pull into this assembly of God parking lot. It's a church that sits on a hill. And the, when you walk into the foyer, it's on the top. I'm sorry, it's on the bottom. But when you drive around to the parking lot, it goes up and you see the backside of the brick church and there's three crosses and there's a single light, street light in the middle of the parking lot and they're parked underneath it. The doors open and the girl's laid out on the ground with her shirt pulled up to her breast and she's literally just laying there with foam coming out of her mouth. I'm telling you, when I pulled into that parking lot, I thought I was pulling into a Hollywood movie right out of The Exorcist. It was like wild. And so I pulled in and I jumped out and I said, everybody get back. Now, I've ta- told this story many times before, but some of you have, who hasn't heard this story? So I'm, that's probably why I'm telling you this story. And so uh, I said, this is the first time actually that I had ever cast a demon out of somebody. And so I told the girl to get back. I told the boy to get, the brother to get back. I told my friend David to get back. The girl's laying there. She can't breathe. She's choking, foam coming out of her mouth. And I pointed my finger at her. I said, devil, in the name of Jesus, come out. And that girl's eyes went and stared at me and a big smile got on her face. And she said, you don't want to know what she said. She, cr- she basically cussed me out and said, get away, and then started flailing and wailing. And then the, the David and the other brother jumped on her to try to calm her down, and she pushed them off with the strength of like 20 people, reached back and kicked the windshield right out of the car and started flailing and wailing. I said, get her out of the car, and they got her out of the car, and I started binding up the demon in Jesus' name. She lockjawed, got stiff as a board, and would not move for like 20 minutes. And I just kept going at it and kept going at it and kept going at it binding and loosing and commanding. And then eventually after about 20 minutes, the Lord said to stop doing what I was doing and just lift my hands and worship the Lord and welcome him into the situation. And as I lifted my hands to worship the Lord, I could feel God's weight and presence come down. And that girl started manifesting and smacking her head against the ground over and over and over again. And it was the demon was doing it to the girl. And so I said, get something to put up under, under her head. And I reached and I looked down at her. I said, in Jesus' name, I command you to come out. This went back and forth for about 20 minutes. Finally, she opened up her eyes and cussed me out again by name. The girl never knew my name, okay, ever. But trust me, when you get born again, the demons in hell know your name. And don't ever think that they don't. The greatest deception and lie of the enemy is to get you to think that he doesn't exist and plays people like puppets. Spirits of fear, spirits of lust, spirits of infirmity, spirits of worry, spirits of doubt, spirits of hate, all these things that cause us to miss perfect love. And eventually she let out a scream that you could have heard for blocks and blocks away, and the devil came out. And then when she sat up, she said, somebody give me a cigarette. Somebody give me a cigarette. I said, I said, to her, I said listen, you need to give your life to Jesus. She goes, no, don't say that name. He killed, he killed my mom. I said, what? What are you talking about? And then the brother says, yeah, my, my sister and I used to go to an ultra-religious Pentecostal holiness church that didn't believe in doctors. And the mom had cancer, and they believed that God was going to heal the, the mom of cancer, and she died. Guess who she's blaming? Now, there's a whole other message there. And the truth is, is I never should have cast the demons out of her. I learned a great lesson. You know why? Because you can sweep the house clean, but if the house doesn't get filled, those spirits come back even worse. And I, man, I was so bothered by that story for years after that. Because I have, you have the power in you to force those things to come out. That's why it took me like ultimately about 45 minutes. And if she was ready to give her life to Jesus and shut the doors, it could have been, it could have happened in a minute. But instead I forced it to come out and then she didn't want anything to do with Jesus. She didn't give her life to the Lord. This is a great lesson for a lot of you. If somebody doesn't want to lay their life down for Jesus, you don't force that. But if somebody comes to you desperate, it's easy to get those demons out. But the the next thing is again, back to the swamp. People like their pet demons. 
They like the swamp in their heart. Hence, re-electing government officials that kill life and want to destroy this nation. But the answer is get the swamp out of your heart. Love your spouse, love your children, love God's people, love the way Jesus called you to love. As we're talking about being serious and watchful in prayer. And what I'm talking to you about is God spoke to me that night that that one glass of wine could have led to two or three or could have clouded my vision and you never know what God has waiting for you. Mark my words, mark my words. And you think God, God may have a lot of set up situations for you to deal with demonic activity but if you get sidetracked or clouded in your vision and you're not serious and watchful, he'll just keep that out because he knows you won't be ready to handle it. You understand? So let's bring the scripture back up. Serious and watchful in your prayers. Pay attention. Be so, have a sound mind in prayer. Prayer is constant communion and worship. This word, proskenuyo, is also the word to worship. So I'm in a constant attitude. I'm in constant communion of prayer and worship. If I'm not serious and watchful, my communion with the Lord will only be on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or at the prayer meeting or in my agenda-driven devotional time, but then no more outside of that. God wants constant communion in your life, right? This is what I really want to talk about was verse eight. Above all things, have fervent love for one another for love will cover a multitude of sins. I want, to, I want to point out this word have. Have. The word have is the Greek word echo. It means that I possess and I maintain what God has given me. It means I'm keeping it. I have it, and I'm not letting go of it. And it means that I become an echo. Think about this. You guys got to catch this in this verse, okay? It means that my life is an echo. Let's say that. My life is an echo. But what are you echoing? That's the question. And I want you to notice that God wants us above all. The most important thing is that we have fervent love. This word love is agape love. It's the highest form of love. It's not erotic love. It's not lustful love. It's not family love. It's not beneficial love. It's the highest form of love that I'm supposed to have for you. That's why I don't check tithe records. Now, I think you all should be tithing. I think every one of you should be giving. I think you're robbing yourself and God if you don't. I want you to be spirit-led. And I've had every other pastor that I know tell me you should be checking people's giving records so that you can counsel them. I'm like, no, I'll counsel you in the spirit and trust, you, trust that you will follow the ways of the Lord. We've never had a money problem here, but I never want something to get in the way that says, you mean I've met with you 10 times and helped you through every struggle in your life and you don't give a dollar here? I guarantee you that happens. I just don't want to really know about it. You know why? Because I want to have perfect love for you. And I'm going to reiterate, money is important. Money answers all things. Ecclesiastes. It's the greed of money that's the root and the love of, or the, the love and of money that's the root of all evil. But we all need money. <laughs> Money's important. <clears throat> but I don't do this for the money. God, I work for God, not you. So I can't tell you, I was sitting in a meeting once and I had counseled this couple, I'm not kidding, about 10 times. And right in the middle of the meeting, I heard the Lord say, you know, they don't give money here. And you know what my first response was? That's okay, Lord, because I work for you. He said, that's exactly right. You work for me. And when you take care of my people, I will take care of you. Woo, Yeah. The most important focus point, to be an echo. It means to be closely joined to something so close that you sound like it and act like it and reflect it. In this case, we join ourselves so closely to God's love that we echo what? His forgiveness, his fervent love towards one another, and then in turn to everybody around us. Become an echo. 
Be so entwined, have fervent love. If you don't have it, you can't give it. Fervent love means never ceasing, never wavering, never backing down. It means passionate, full of life and desire. And then I'm gonna leave you with this and we're gonna, I'm gonna leave you with these two things and we're gonna pray. One another in the New Testament is mentioned 100 times. 100 times. 49 times it's specifically directed to believers in Christ. A third of that 49 times is in the context of unity. A third of it is in how we love one another. And a third of it is in how God causes us to be humble towards one another. Everything is about humility, love, and unity. You're not that great and you're not that bad. I'm not better than you because I have this microphone. I may have more responsibility than you. But God loves, and then what's a multitude of sins? Love covers. You know, when I think about love covers, I think about dripping blood on the cross. That's what I think about. I'm so jacked up, but blood's dripping down my soul and my spirit, and God's cleansing me. Love covered me because of love. When Jesus stretched out his hands on the, I, when I think love covers, I think first the cross towards me. I think that I am covered. I have all kinds of things in my life, but God covers me. Now let's think about a multitude of sins and God covering. First off, many times God will protect you so that no one else knows what's going on. He's protecting you from other people. Let's just rejoice for that right now. It doesn't mean I'm hiding, but it means that God knows that it's possible. If that other person knew what was going on in your life, they would ramrod you or give you bad advice. So God says, you know what? I'm gonna cover you and I forgive you. No, you, that's something between you and me. You don't have to talk to somebody else about that. But that's not all the time because God also says in James 5.16, the uh, prayer of a righteous man availeth much uh, and... If we confess our sins to one another, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So there's also confession. But if you don't have mercy and grace in your heart, if you don't understand how much God has covered you, you won't cover them. Do you get that? It's only because God's had so much grace and mercy in my life that I can accurately cover your life. A multitude of sins. How much is a multitude? It's a lot. But, but which ones, where's your threshold? I've talked about this with a friend. Where's, what's your tolerance level? Is it a little lying? Maybe. Is it, what, some lot? I don't know. What is, what's the multitude of sins that you're willing, because the word cover is the word calypto. The word to reveal is apocalypto. It's apocalypse now. It's lifting the lid. It's napalm bombing and now everything's exposed. But the word calypto means I'm actually covering and concealing. You know how many times I've sat in a meeting, especially with a couple that are marriage counseling and God reveals to me that that person's either having an affair or steeped in pornography and God says, don't expose it? Many times. Instead, there's a better way to navigate through it because if I just napalm the guy's life, I could crush him. Instead, we have a heart to love and to cover. Do you understand? Because God loves and covers you. He loves you so much that while you were steeped in sin, but what's your threshold? Will you cover somebody that's gay? How about a Democrat? Woo! I don't know. And by the way, just because I forgive you doesn't mean that there, doesn't, there isn't consequences. And just because I cover you doesn't make it okay. I just want you to know. It's not okay. You have to stop when somebody forgives you and say, it's okay. No, it's not okay, but I still forgive you and I love you. Do you understand? I'm not okay with, our, with what our president's doing but I still pray for him and I still have to love him the way that God calls me to love him. 
And some of y'all don't like that. And you'll love some and you won't love others because where's the line get drawn? I'll love you if you're like me. Jesus spoke a whole thing on that directly. So it's easy to love other people that treat you well or are like you. This isn't utopia church. This is an introverted church where we're all raising up a bunch of midgets that are just like us. Let's call in the strippers and the drug addicts and the Democrats and let's call in the people that don't believe the same thing that maybe you believe. Let's call in the pro-choicers and love them really well so that we can be an influence in their life to flip the narrative in their life to fight for life. Because if you hide up and hole up in your utopia little world, how are you going to reach them? Sorry, I got on a little soap bandwagon right there. I'm going to leave you with this last thing. 1 Peter 4, 7. I, I, I want to show this to you because it's just so good. I'm sorry, it's 1 John 1, 7. Let's go to 6 real quick. Watch this. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we're liars. I don't want to be a liar. I don't want to be a liar. But you know what? I have been a liar. Oh, nobody wants to hear that. But the truth is, is all of us have had dark things, hidden things, things we don't want to expose or share or we protect. I want to practice the truth, don't you? Verse seven, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from sin. Light and cleansing go hand in hand. Darkness and deception go hand in hand too. I don't want any darkness in my life. I want you to notice that when I walk in the light as he's in the light, I can have real fellowship. That's the word koinonia. It means that the benefits of your life can benefit my life. It means I get joined together with you now. But if you're in darkness, I can't join together with you. I can have synergy and pull you up and out of it. But if you stay in darkness, I can't walk. What fellowship does light and dark have together? Do you understand? This is the problem in marriage. If one spouse is in darkness and the other's in the light, All I need people to do is come into the light so that we can have real fellowship. There's no shame, there's no hiding, there's no darkness, and you're in a safe place. This needs to be a safe culture where the hurting and the broken can come. Look at the baptisms where people are confessing their sins and it's people completely opposite of so many of us. And when you walk in the light, you have real koinonia with one another. And in turn, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I didn't get to 1 John 4.20, but what, actually, why don't you pull it up? If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He who does not love his brother whom he is see, who he can see, can he, how can he love God who he doesn't, who you don't see? I, I think this should be written different. If I love God who I don't see, then I can love my brother who I see. It's not how it's written. If I love you who I can see, I will have an accurate love of the one that I can't see. If you want to see God in your life, lay your life down for one another. Everyone. Everyone means everyone. People don't don't like when I post, I'm like, oh, are you a transgender? Come to Rock City. Are you gay? Come to Rock City. Are you in a divorce? You cheating on your spouse? Come to Rock City. People think, oh man, yeah, that's that lukewarm church. They don't know me and they don't know you. I want them to come here because I want to give them life. If you want to flip society, you need to reach the ones that are completely opposite of you. That's what Jesus did. And I need you that are here that know Jesus and are Christians and love the Lord and fight for biblical values to be healthy. 
So that when they walk in here and they see you, they see life and community. We become the contrast. And some of you need to repent. I've had to repent. So let's just close our eyes for a moment and then we'll, we'll go home. Lord, I pray for fiery, fervent love in this house, God. Fiery, fervent love in this house, God, for all people, for everyone. Make us an echo. Let Rock City Church be an echo. Help us to love the unlovable. Help us to lay our lives down for those that aren't like us or that don't love us the way that they should or slander us or persecute us or make bad choices that destroy life, God. I pray for fervent love, God. I pray for burning, passionate, fervent love in this house. Lord, we want to be like you. We want to love like you. I pray for strong marriages. I pray for every marriage that we would truly come into the light there be no darkness or deceit in us. And everybody that's single and not married, I pray for purity and holiness. We live holy lives, that we live upright lives. Be serious and watchful in our prayers at all times. And I thank you so much, Lord, that as we celebrate Valentine's Day today, that we would return to our first love, you, and that we would love those that you put in our lives the way that you love us. I thank you for this church. I bless all of you mightily with strength and fire and passion, beauty and wonder, the beauty and the radiance of who the Lord is in your life. Burn bright and shine bright in a dark world. And don't go it alone. Don't live in darkness. Lord, call us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And I bless you all mightily today in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys. Have an awesome day. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you want to partner with us in what God is doing here at Rock City, you can give by visiting our website at rockcitycorpus.com slash give.